Biz News Power Hour. Well, we got a cracking show for you coming up tonight. Uncovering one of the biggest scams to ever hit South Africa. Now, that's a big story, and it is a big statement as well, but it's supposedly about $3 billion. And what happened was a couple of young guys and a chartered accountant went out into the marketplace and got in a community of people who decided they wanted to get a slice of the Bitcoin action, and uh, they've disappeared, and so is the money. Something like 50 billion rand. A breaking story, we'll be talking to the lawyer who's investigating it, Darren Harnacom, and also asking Magnus Haystek, who's the guest co-host tonight, for his insights in all of this. Also, coming up later in the program, we had results today from Breit, whose new chief executive will be giving us a reason why you should be buying the shares at 2 rand 77. Well, because they're going to be liquidating the portfolio, which currently, he says, is worth 7 Rand 90. And we'll also be talking uh, a little bit more about a big award that went today to Nick Hudson. Not Nick Hudson himself, but we will be speaking to the man who nominated him, a professor of insurance and accounting from Wits University. So lots coming up in the next hour. Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bradrock, the first ever needs-meshed life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin Rowe Roberts has been watching the markets. The JSE All Share Index was up at 65,800. The Rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 18 cents to the dollar, 19 Rand 84 cents to the pound, and 16 Rand 96 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,778 an ounce. Kruger Rand is trading at approximately 26,000 Rand. Brent crude is up further at $76 a barrel. And Bitcoin has rebounded somewhat from yesterday's sell off, trading at 490,000 Rand. If I look at the major highlights for the day, it's all about the resources. Are they back? Who knows? Royal Buffer King Platinum up 7%. Kumba Iron Ore up 4.5%. Sabanya Stillwater up 3.5%. Just to give you an indication of the sell-off that's happened in the commodities over the last six weeks, Sabanya off 22% from its recent highs. Impala 20%, Northern 22%, and Kumba 15%. That's all in the last six weeks. Uh, other interesting news uh, from the business front, Long for Life came out with an update regarding their strategic review. They were a bit vague. She is up 2.5%. There is going to be corporate action happening there. Um, that's the long story short. Brett also released results today. Bit iffy, but the market does like it, 10% up. Remember, this company used to be 250 billion rand, now only 3.7 billion. And lastly, Old Mutual, are they becoming irrelevant? They, they uh, announced a trading update today. Wasn't flattering. Market didn't really have an opinion. Flat at 13 rand. Yeah, interesting story on Brett. As you say, it's come from being a real hero of the JSE down to one company that if you aren't a long-term investor and you'd only just thought about buying in now, uh, I, I think there's a, there's, a main, there's a reason for it. But we'll hear all about that later from the CEO, uh, Peter Haywood. But... I tend to agree, Alec. Very interesting story, Brett. Private equity giant, no longer. They do still have one really good asset, Virgin Active. Everyone loves the gyms. 
Everyone loves the gym, but everyone loves the gym at home if you look at Peloton. But anyway, we'll, uh, we'll hear more about that from Peter in the program. This market report was made just for you by Bradrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And let's get started with today's news headlines. Here's Jackie Cameron. A large UK study at the University of Oxford is to investigate the use of ivermectin as a possible treatment for COVID-19. Ivermectin is a drug used to treat parasite infections in humans and livestock. It is already in widespread use in South Africa. It has been approved for use on compassionate grounds in controlled access programs, and health authorities have reported widespread use of the drug on the black market. The World Health Organization and the European Medicines Agency recommend that ivermectin only be used in clinical trials as more data is needed to support its use. At least two South African labor unions have vowed to support workers who are threatened with dismissal if they refuse to be vaccinated. This follows a directive by the Department of Employment and Labor earlier this month that makes provision for employers to implement a mandatory vaccination policy. Union Solidarity says it will take employers to court if they dismiss workers because of their choice not to be vaccinated. The Auditor General has told Parliament of the abuse of COVID-19 relief funds, with one municipality buying a car with money earmarked for the pandemic. Auditor General Sakani Maloleki briefed a joint meeting of finance watchdog Scopa and a standing committee in Parliament, painting a bleak picture of the state of the country's municipal finances. She told Parliament how municipalities had racked up 26 billion rand in irregular expenditure. In a bombshell day of testimony at the Zondo Commission, it was revealed that money from the Gupta enterprise paid Jacob Zuma's arms deal legal fees. This is even though the state was ostensibly footing the legal bill for the former president. It has also emerged that the Guptas made use of an international money laundering framework used to finance terrorism and drug cartels, reports the Daily Maverick. South Africa's headline consumer price inflation rose to 5.2% year-on-year in May. This is up from 4.4% in April, says Statistics South Africa. That was your Business Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Business. For more on those and the other big business stories of the day, visit businessradio.com. Well, it's Wednesday, and that means Magnus Haystack is our guest co-host. Magnus, good to see you, man. Uh, it's been a interesting time to be living in Gauteng, where every second person you know seems to have COVID. Yes, good afternoon, Alec. I think this time around, I think it's much more widely spread than during the first phase. And, and as you say, it's now all around. It's in your house. It's in your business. We've had a close two of our offices in Gauteng. Everybody is just suddenly... Uh, fortunately, they're all ill, but nobody has passed away or died. But it is around, and you, if you if you are uh, prone to get those kind of illnesses, you just isolate and you you stay away from humanity. Yeah, and that, I think that's the big thing here. It, it, we know that it's hard to pass on if you're asymptomatic, but if you've got a sniff, even a small sniff, just stay at home, just stay away from everybody else, because you might think you've only got a cold, but my goodness, if it's COVID. Uh, it affects some people in a really bad way. I, I've got two friends, actually, who are really struggling right now. We all have friends struggling, and, 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 and we've heard and read about people who have passed away, but they were perhaps a bit elderly and had previous conditions, comorbidity issues that now are suddenly kicked in. So, unfortunately, it is real. And the government, or well, the lack of the government vaccine rollout is not helping either. It's been a total shambles. It's been a total disaster. And uh, as Business Day in his editorial this morning saying, 
the government has stuffed up the vaccine rollout, but now they're blaming the, the victims for the fact that they're all spreading the, the virus. Uh, it, it's typical governments hiding behind their ineptitude and and and, and, and shambles. Not just here, though. It's 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 a global thing. No, no, no. In, in fairness, it's all around the world. But uh, right now in South Africa, undeniably, the vaccine rollout is probably the worst. In, 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 in the world in many respects, as Mike Schussler has pointed out, in our peer group of, of middle-income countries, we're the, we're the worst country as far as the rollout is concerned. And you can only lie, uh, lay that in front of the, 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 the feet of the government. Yeah, and we got a long way to go, this young democracy. But Magnus, what does it mean for the country as a whole that we've now in a third wave? Let's just say that we certainly know it in Gauteng, we're the epicenter, that there's another lockdown, that the that uh, you're not allowed to go into work anymore, etc. So it, it kind of rolls back the freedoms that we've received in the last few months. What does that mean for the this nascent uh, rebound in the economy? Yes, it does have an impact. There's no question that if people are now suddenly, and if I look at my consumption behaviour, suddenly no more going to restaurants, no more going to the supermarket, and if you take that nationally, it will have an impact. And it will affect people who are already the hardest hit in terms of earning an income and, and keeping a job. So unfortunately, and I've seen some commentary from, uh, I think it was Deutsche Bank, saying that it's, it's, there's now a question mark about our economic recovery as a result of the slow rollout. Secondly, being on the red list for most countries, it means no tourism. Tourism not coming in, and tourists can't go out. So we isolated in many respects. So it does have a financial impact where it will end, but uh, hard to quantify, but there's no doubt it, it's hurting South Africa very badly. That red list story is something that's not fully appreciated. I was reading earlier this week on the HMRC uh, or the Gov uh, website in the UK, how if you're from a red list country... Unless you're a British citizen, so you've got dual nationality, they won't let you in. So for most South Africans, if you've only got the green mamba, well, forget it. You can't go to the UK, for instance. Then yeah. if you do, if you are a dual citizen um, and you need to go there for whatever the purpose might be, you have to book into a hotel for 10 days where you would quarantine over that period simply because you're from a red list country. So it's a little bit like uh, having a, a well... Uh, something of a pariah uh, status. Well, yes, it's a good summary. I mean, if you even, we can't go to Mauritius. I mean, they also have said South Africans need to both be vaccinated and still from the 15th of July, you have to spend, uh, I think, 14 days in a government registered facility. It's one of the hotels. You may move around in the hotel, but you may not leave the hotel until you've passed two COVID tests, and then you can go on your merry way to your property or whatever you want to do in Mauritius. But that's not the big issue. It's the tourist, tourism inflow that we're not getting. The Western Cape, as you've reported and everybody else, tourism uh, uh, revenues have been decimated. The winelands, the hotel industry, the property in industry, we need the wealthy tourists in South Africa uh, especially the Western Cape, Kruger National Park, uh, KwaZulu Natal, they, we need the dollars, and we're not getting those dollars. And there is a massive adjustment uh, in, in, those, in those sectors, and 
some people simply won't make it if this lockdown is extended uh, indefinitely. You've joined the dots for us really well there. But what you haven't touched on is the way that the narrative doesn't seem to have ever changed. It's always been, well, government knows what it's doing. Let's follow what government's telling us. Let's just go along with people who know better. But clearly, the, the results are telling us they perhaps don't know better. It's the way the government is controlling the narrative. The so-called family fire chats that our president has with the nation is a one-way communication, top-down. You guys sit down, shut up, and I will talk. And there is no way that a free press or a critical analyst can question President Ramaphosa or his um, collection of experts around him. And that is very frustrating because there are numerous questions that people want to ask, including yourself, but he's blocking it. So the narrative is this fantastically sounding narrative and it's all good and we know what we're doing and don't worry. Meanwhile, people are dying and we, uh, we are blocked again by asking critical questions that in any normal or normally operating society, we, we, we can ask, but we're not. We're blocked. The narrative is very strictly controlled by the ANC and the government. It's an interesting point, uh, and we're going to be picking up in a moment with a narrative that should have been better communicated, a massive, massive scam uh, that has been uncovered by Darren Hanekom of Hanekom uh, uh, Lawyers. We'll be bringing him in a moment. But before we do that, this narrative has given... Panda, and particularly Nick Hudson, who's very well known, uh, a lot to talk about and drawn a lot of criticism. Tonight, Professor, uh, on the um, motivation of Professor Robert Vivian from Wits University, Panda is being given a Freedom Award, unprecedented, by the Free Market Foundation. Do you know Professor Vivian at all? Because I guess any award depends on the caliber of uh, the person who's motivating it? I don't know him personally, but I've been reading his articles and, and his commentary in the press for probably on 30 years. He's a highly respected professor in, as far as my memory serves me, actuarial studies and life insurance matters. So he's quite an expert on the life insurance industry in South Africa. But once again, he's been there for 30 years and highly respected. Coming from him, there must be a very sound and a logical uh, background to the nomination for, for Nick Hudson. Well, we'll be uh, playing that interview in just a little while, but let's bring in Darren Hanekom now. Uh, Darren, Magnus Haystick, our guest co-host, has, has covered many scandals in the past, but I'm not sure he's seen anything quite like this one. Maybe we can start at the beginning. South Africans were exposed to something called Mirror Trading International, which was a cryptocurrency scam. Uh, now you've uncovered this AfriCrypt, which you can tell us a lot more about in a moment. But Mirror Trading International, how did that work? And was that a precursor for this latest one? Thank you for that introduction. And um, pleased to meet you, Magnus. Uh, with regards to meditating international uh, it, it pretty much followed on the, the prelude of the previous uh, bitcoin build on when everyone looked at these uh, technologies and largely uh, viewed it as something that they uh, might have missed out on uh, 
And Meditating International uh, was an entity that operated on a, a variety of, 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 of levels in the way in which they marketed their service. Um, it was very much along the lines of a multi-level marketing uh, business whereby they would utilize a wide variety of, of individuals uh, to, to, to spread um, the core message of what they were doing. And they were very much boots on the ground in that they would utilize the networks and incentivize individuals to bring on um, more recruits and in turn earn a percentage. Pyramid scheme. And we call it what it is. It was a pyramid scheme. Yeah, you, you bring your pals, you get paid, mm-hmm. and your pals get screwed. Yeah. I mean, that's, and eventually you yeah. get screwed too. But what about this yeah. F- AfriCrypt? I mean, how, 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 how does it rank in size with Mirror Trading International? Well, right now, the investigations are still at its uh, infancy stage. Uh, it's always um, uh, tricky to, to know exactly the, the magnitude of, of, of how big uh, these matters are uh, or whether it's potentially connected uh, to other um, schemes or global schemes. So with regards to the magnitude, I can uh, perhaps give a narrative of, of where it started. Uh, it started a lot smaller in respect of client individual balances. So clients would, be, would, would send funds, uh, fiat, which would then be converted into, into coins on a wallet. They would be shown this wallet address and, uh, and on a weekly, monthly basis, they would be shown their respective um, uh, balances. Um, and many clients wouldn't necessarily, it wasn't a community element to it. So many clients were were isolated. One client was isolated uh, from the next. Um, From what we understand, there weren't massive telegram groups. There weren't massive WhatsApp groups. There there wasn't uh, massive uh, sort of client community engagement. So uh, that's why it's tricky to to understand the the depth of of the alleged uh, theft. Um, but from what we've seen, uh, at the very least, um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and, and if not billions of, of, of dollars, from what we've uh, seen uh, on the blockchain uh, after following client uh, transaction and client wallet balances. And uh, so the magnitude fluctuates given the, the movement and price of, of, of Bitcoin at any given time. Um, but it does uh, rank in the billions. And what's happened? Billions. What's happened to this, to those bitcoins, or to that money? That well, I think that invest? is potentially the, the billion-dollar question. Um, so, what has not happened is uh, a clear uh, narrative as to um, what had transpired uh, on that day. What has not happened was a, uh, a continued engagement with investors as to what's going on, what is being done uh, to recover these funds and what they've uncovered so far. Who what the, has happened is... Sorry, you know, carry on. So what, what has happened is, 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 is not much and, and the silence is the problem uh, right now. Um, and we can only uh, dig up as much as we can see in this highly convoluted system, um, but without any indication as to... As to what exactly is the extent of this? Uh, it is difficult to to uh, pinpoint an exact amount. 
before I ask uh, Magnus to uh, ping some questions, uh, the excellent article that Kieran Ryan wrote today for MoneyWeb mm. is uh, he, he takes a picture there, a screenshot of the AfriCrypt investor presentation of 2020. Mm. And the founder mm. and CEO is all of 20 years old at that point in time. He mm. obviously is 21 mm. now because it's a year ago. Raiz yeah. Kaji. And it seems like his yeah. brother, Amir Kaji, uh, is the chief operating officer. And, and a chartered accountant, or certainly claimed to be, Ranju Patel, mm. is the chief financial mm. officer. Now, are these three fellows around to answer questions? Well, um, from what we've we've um, received from in, investors, um, that they don't know where they are. They were they were in contact before, and uh, they had a fairly open dialogue uh, with uh, the, the the directors of the businesses, and that all came to a, a sort of halt on the day of the the hack. So. We have no clue as to where they could be and, and, and why it is that they haven't reached out to investors after uh, the purported hack. Um, but with that amount of resources at your disposal, you could really be anywhere. So you say the hack. So those Bitcoins and other cryptocurrency coins have disappeared. Well, right now, with regards to the, the hack, um, what was conveyed to investors was that the business uh, was was subjected to a, um, a compromising um, array of, of of attempts at um, of, at getting keys or addresses uh, or, or getting access to the respective wallets. And the narrative is that the website was compromised. That there's mention of nodes. Uh, that is further mention of, of, of um, the hosting and service being compromised. Uh, what we found concerning is that Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies uh, exist uh, outside of your uh, traditional hosting or outside of your traditional server pools or, 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 or hardware. Uh, by, very, by its very nature, it's, it's decentralized. It's, um, it, and that's also uh, what gives it its... its value and that's why people like it is because it's impenetrable mm-hmm. um, to this day I don't know anyone globally that was able to um, compromise the, the distributed ledger blockchain you would have to compromise every single uh, miner you'd have to compromise more it would need to be not just one hack you would need to have gotten into the, the hosting service you'd have needed to gotten or get into their uh, back-end platforms. So the cars well are lying, Darren. But essentially, essentially they're lying. They're not telling the truth because it's it's not possible. But Magnus, uh, what's your thoughts about this? I remember you you were playing the whistle on scams. Uh, what was it? ShareMax was was one that comes comes to mind a while ago, and many others for a long time. Did you ever hear of this one, AfriCrypt? You know, I have an old saying when it comes to these kind of things. It says, a fool and his money should not be locked up in the same room for an extended period of time because they're going to do stupid things. And the crypto thing, the Bitcoin, and all the other stuff has got lots of elements of this. In the last two to three years, but especially the last year or so, 
I mean, the, 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 the hype, the bubble, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And at every seminar, every interview we have with people, the first question is, should I buy Bitcoin? And it was a fully blown uh, scam, euphoria, whatever you want to call it. And we're now seeing the tail end of this. I haven't heard of, of, of AfriCrypt until I read the same article as you, but we've had previous ones. And that's always been a big question. Who controls the people behind the, the people who control the money? Where is the safety of your money always been a problem? The the advocates of, of, of this decentralized currency have always said that's its strongest point. But the hackers and the crooks have turned that strongest point into its weakest point because you don't know where your money is. It's gone. You can't trace it. Which country is it? Um, faceless individuals who are smarter than you on the computers will just run off with your money, and we've seen it all over the world now. Well, it looks like these guys have done very well. Ray's Kaji, according to the profile that he put out on himself, started a business in a tiny room in Robertsham when he was 13 years old. Uh, so that was in 2013. He got five distinctions in matric in 2018. So that's that's the guy you're giving your money to. Darren, how did you get into this? Have you got clients who are exposed? So from, from our side of things, and we've been involved in the um, legal side of, uh, of crypto advisory for the past two years, uh, two to uh, two to two and a half years, uh, we've advised exchanges, arbitrage companies, traders, detail traders, institutional traders, and all the rest. And it was largely through that network uh, that they, they reached out to us to, to firstly ask us uh, before the hack. We were approached um, to 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 do analysis on uh, on the on this company. And, I mean, I'm a massive advocate, uh, Magnus, of cryptocurrency and its movement and its potential. So, um, I mean, age aside, I mean, we've also seen people within those age groups doing phenomenal, phenomenal things uh, with the technology and great uh, innovations. So uh, I'm very reluctant to uh, immediately assume uh, the, the age gives them away. But what did give up? Uh, give uh, or, con- or cause concern for us and the client who approached us is that basic questions couldn't be answered. Um, and that was the first sort of um, tell as to what could be going on. Um, and about a month or two after we were approached, uh, I was then called again to say, Dad, yeah, <laughs> this is what had happened. And um, it was it was troubling um, to, to know um, that that this could be done at, at such a magnitude and, and to speak to what Magnus mentioned earlier and the hype and the euphoria. And the problem is that people um, with COVID, uh, people are, are vulnerable. People are looking for that quick um, profit. And uh, anyone in the cryptocurrency space who is involved with it, not just in this current bull run, but in the previous one, will tell you, uh, it's, it's, it's highly volatile. Um, there, there is opportunity, and there's a lot of um, ways of, of, of making great contributions to this space. But if you aren't prepared to do the research yourself, if you aren't prepared to um, dig into what this technology is, uh, the last thing you should do is to, to hand over that responsibility in its entirety to someone else. 
But you wouldn't do that in any other line of work. If you've got money in your pocket, are you going to give it to a guy who's walking down the street and saying, well, okay, so you can put it on red or black for me at the casino? It's, it's insane that the people would get sucked into this. And who are the people who've been, who, so, who've been stung? I mean, billions of dollars is so, big numbers. So, un, so MTI was largely a mass uh, sort of retail exercise. A lot of people... Um, putting in smaller increments of, of, of money, whereas uh, this is slightly different. And this is also why uh, other industry players that we've engaged with in this space have also said the same thing. We have never heard of these guys. We, we don't know who they are. Uh, we've never uh, engaged with them. They've never participated within the space. And it was shocking to them to even to, to, to see the numbers. And the reason why that was possible is because it was a very close-knit circle with trusted individuals um, that that's whose connections were ultimately leveraged um, to play off of, uh, of the next person. So it wasn't a random person. It was always somebody who you trusted um, who was possibly making money. And I mean, people on top, the first early adopters do make money. And uh, that's slowly how it began to, to snowball. Sounds to me, Magnus, a little bit like uh, the the whole Tannenbaum story, where it was a, a a group of people in South Africa who all knew each other and nudge nudge, wink wink. Look at how clever we are getting money out the country through exchange control, making a lot of money by this the, this Tannenbaum fellow who'd been around for a long time. Um, does it remind you of that as well? Tannenbaum of, of Madoff as well. Madoff. I, was, I was just gonna, I was just going to say Madoff. It was yeah. the same principles by invitation only, very exclusive. You're one of the chosen. Give us your money and don't talk about it. Uh, that's the way you you set up a scam. So, have any of your clients, Magnus, approached you with this or or let you know that? Uh, that, that they were taken either by Mirror Trading International, the predecessor, or now this one, uh, which seems to be far larger. We, we've told our clients from the beginning that, that Bitcoin or any other currency is not a registered product in South Africa. We don't comment on it. We don't deal in it. And if you go invest in it, it's at your own risk. Go somewhere else. So we've not had anybody come back and said, we have sent out several newsletters saying, we cannot comment on it. Do, do not ask us about Bitcoin. It's not a licensed product. And I don't want to be the first financial advisor who stands in front of the ombud and the ombud asks me, explain to me how Bitcoin works, Mr. Haystack, and I don't know. You just, you just walk away from it. Darren, what happens next? Well, uh, right now, uh, we understand that there is a liquidation uh, pending. Um, in the Gauteng uh, local division, uh, which was brought by another uh, group of, of investors. Um, we have not been privy uh, to those papers as to what it includes. Uh, interestingly, uh, myself, uh, along with many other uh, practitioners, have not been able to get copies of, of these papers to actually find out factually uh, what, the, what the case is. Um, we do know that there is an upcoming date, so we, we, we look forward to seeing um, the, the factual narrative as to what 
um, transpired, or at least what the company's assets comprise of. So it's um, early, early days that, at this stage. Very early days. Very early days. Uh, and, and, and it's distinctive from Meditator and the difficulty that liquidators are invariably experiencing in Meditator is that it was all crypto, whereas in this case it was not. And that also is potentially um, why investors um, should be uh, a bit more optimistic in this case um, because uh, fiat is a lot easier to track uh, than, uh, than crypto. And presumably, because it's a close-knit circle, uh, the people will be well-known to the investors. Magnus, I wouldn't like to be in, in the shoes of uh, the two Kaji fellows and, and, uh, and their, uh, their cohort, Patel. Uh, it doesn't look like they've uh, been very honorable, to say the least, in this whole exercise. Well, obviously, we don't know everything right now, but I doubt if it's on the same scale that Darren is referring to that they'll still be around in South Africa. They probably have externalized some of the assets by hook or by crook, and um, they might be living next door to the Guptas and the and uh, and and the Zumas in in in, in Dubai. I, I doubt if that's if those numbers are anything remotely accurate. I think they they're gone. They, they've hit it for the hills. Oh, thanks to Darren Hanukom uh, from Hanukom Lawyers, uh, who's chasing down uh, the next big scam to hit South Africa. Gee, Magnus, but they just, they just keep on coming, don't they? Well, I think as Darren pointed out, you know, the last 18, 19 months, a lot of people have been locked up in their homes due to COVID, and they're sitting with spare cash, and they read about it, and they read about uh, you know, Robin Hood trading in the States and Bitcoin running, and they, they've got spare time. And uh, they said, let me try it. And there we go. We've had a boom in these things, not only in South Africa, but all around the world. You've got some young genius uh, or apparent genius because he seems to know what's going on and elderly people don't get the whole Bitcoin story. But they see there's money to be made. They don't listen to Nuru Rubini, Dr. Doom, who says it's the biggest scam that's being perpetrated on mankind. And they just fall in. Even the uh, governor of the uh, British uh, Reserve Bank or the Bank of England, can't remember his name now, he said, be prepared to lose your money in Bitcoin if you put money into it. And I think that was a sound warning. And there have been many, many people who warned about this, but um, maybe that message has been drowned in all the euphoria of people claiming, and especially on social media, people can get very vicious if you if you disagree with the the common the common themes, they can slam you, as, as uh, Nick Hudson learned to his uh, detriment. Same thing happened here. I mean, I, I tried commenting on my Twitter feed a couple of times, and wow, the, the Twitter feed will light up from guys who are saying, rubbish, you're stupid, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, they've all gone quiet, haven't they? I mean, they're all talking about $500,000, and we're down to $28,000. So it's, I just walk away. In rand terms, we were at nearly a million rand a Bitcoin. We're now under 400,000 rand a Bitcoin. And that's only happened in the course of about six weeks. So let the buyer beware. Our view on this at Biz News is very simple. Uh, we've heard from the authorities that 90% of the trade in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies is done by criminal syndicates. We, we forget here living in a... Uh, in, in a normal world that actually the underworld is as big a business as the uh, legitimate world, if you like, 
And cryptocurrencies, as our partners at the Wall Street Journal have been writing continuously, is one full, uh, foolproof way for the underworld to move its money around, to wash, uh, wash what do they call it, money laundering, uh, as easily easy as pie. And, of course, the regulators are stepping in to cut this down. It just mm. is at some point in time the regulators will act as they've said they're going to. There's uh, no doubt that the new the future of money will be different, but uh, whether it's going to be through bitcoins and ethereum's etc. In the way that it's being hyped up at the moment, well, uh, you've got to believe that at some point in time the criminal element are going to be re- reeled in. But we've uh, heard more about this extraordinary story. I'm sure it's only the beginning. And thank you to Darren Hanekom, and of course. To our guest co-host tonight, Magnus Haystick. <music> Professor Robert Vivian from Wits University joins us now on a, well, a big day for Panda and its chairman, Nick Hudson, because this evening he is going to receive on behalf of Panda a special award from the Free Market Foundation. And it's because of a motivation that Professor Vivian put in. Robert, just unpack a little bit for us before we go into the motivation and what the award's about, your area of focus. My area of focus is uh, insurance and finance, both of which need free markets to operate. We can't operate unless those markets are fairly free. So in the idea that we can't operate unless the markets are free, I have for a long time worked with the Free Market Foundation because they promote the same ideas. Mm. Uh, when you say a long time, have you made any other motivations like this for awards there? No, I think this is the first uh, Free Market Foundation award being made. So I don't think there's a history of of the previous awards per se of this nature. There have been others of other types made. Okay, so, so now, mm, we we need to yeah. understand if it is unprecedented. We need to understand why you felt so strongly that Panda de- deserved an award like this. I think the spender has come to conclusions on, on the evidence which they are prepared to put. And what has happened in most of the world when people have tried to put arguments forward, which is contrary to the sort of mainstream arguments, then they are basically being silenced. So we needed somebody, you know, to say, okay, this is the data we got and this is the conclusion we've got. And also to take that conclusion to the impact on the economy as a whole. So not only the, the COVID directly itself, but what other impact is it having on the, on the market, on, on the economy, and what impact will it have going into the future? As you know, uh, Panda also then did an analysis to try and work out what the impact will be going forward onto the economy. What's the long-term in, uh, impact uh, on this? So it seemed to me those, those are the things which were – fairly unique and also where in other parts of the world when people have tried to put these arguments forward they've been in 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 America they get deplatformed so the world can't hear these other alternative arguments and you can't have a scientific research or a scientific debate unless all sides of the argument are open for debate and it seems to me that that's not what's happened and Panda has been prepared to go out there and do that so to my mind uh, you know that was worth uh, an award. And they've come in for a lot of criticism, particularly from the academic community. No, I, I understand uh, they've come into a lot of uh, criticism, but you know, in, in history, whenever people have 
try to stand up for objective scientific debate. They've always stood up for, always stood up, always received criticism. So I think the criticism is to be expected, but what can't do is you can't shut down the debate because you disagree with the views of people. I think the views should be open for debate, and that's the problem which we're not having really on, the, on, the, on, the, on a lot of fronts, not only on the COVID front, but on a whole range of fronts, and I think that's a very unhealthy state to be. So I think we need to get, get to a state where you know, open debate can take place. Where did it come from? What's, what's behind this bigotry, this new age of uh, culture wars where if you aren't with me, I'm not prepared to listen? I don't really know. I think, I think this is the interesting part about this thing, and that's why I think that Panda's contribution should see against that background so that we can start to look at these things because as things are now happening, in particular as you, if you've been following the United States where things developed more than anything else, if you have an alternative view, then that view is simply never allowed to be heard. And I think that's very unhealthy. And we can only get to a healthy state if we start getting people like Panda who say we don't agree with that view. Here's the data. This is the view that we come to. And I think without that, we can't go forward. I don't know I don't know what's caused it and how we got it, but if you read the motivation which I put, it's been clear that this has been coming for a very long time. So it is necessary, I think, at this stage to, to sort of have an alternative to it and, and to sort of get the things back onto track. And the track is to come to decisions based on data. That's a scientific method. And that's what's been undermined. It's not new. I mean, it happened in Galileo and, and earlier ages where you know, people were not allowed to have an alternative view. The moment they have an alternative view, in those days they were prosecuted, as you, as you know from the motivation, is that uh, the word bigot is normally used to, to describe these people, but the word bigot is when you don't allow other people to have an alternative view. So the, the tax which we are getting, I think that, that's a bigoted approach. Mm. You you reference uh, Dr. Li Wenliang, uh, and I think it's a really interesting story and one worth repeating. Yes, I think I think this illustrates you know uh, why I think it's important what Panda has done and why I think Panda is important. Not whether you agree or disagree with them, but for what they have done, they have said you know yes, if you stand up. Now remember, if you go if you go back. To look when the COVID broke out, uh, Dr. Wheeling Young is the first doctor to detect something was going wrong. Now, where you would normally get this is at the doctor level. You know, there's doctors seeing patients. And so when patients come up with a new uh, <laughs> flu or new symptom, he raised the alarm. And, and that was in, in China. So what happened is the bigots came along and said, you're not allowed to have that. You must retract it, as happens to Galileo. And so he had to, had to retract it. And that's really, you know, why uh, I think Panda deserves the award, because they are standing up to this and saying, okay, yeah, is the data. This is a conclusion. Now, maybe they're wrong. That's a separate debate which we've got. And also, you know, this is what happens. And because you shut the economy down, there are other long-term consequences which we've got. And those long-term consequences may, in fact, be worse. Now, that's a debate we need to have. And we can't have that debate being shut down. That's the point. And, you know, Panda Lisa stood up and said it. Other, other people have now said, 
particularly in the US, haven't been allowed to say it. They've actually been deplatformed. No view other than 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 the sort of uh, party line is, is is tolerated, and that's very unhealthy. You know? It's unprecedented in in modern times, and we shouldn't allow that. And Dr. Lee himself. He died. He died a few days later. Of, of COVID? Or... Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what he died from. I mean, I, mean, uh, uh, I, think he, I think the view is he died of COVID. Yeah. So I think that's accepted. So he, he did die. You know, and I contrast this to what happened with thalamillide, you know, in, in the 1960s. I mean, uh, uh, a doctor detected that uh, people were being born deformed. And when he detected, he raised the alarm. Now, nobody arrived at him and said, you can't have this alternative view. You must recant. And it turned out he was right. And within two months, steps were then being taken to, to correct it. So we need this open debate roundabout or round data which has been released. And and the criticisms which I've seen against Panda, you know, they may well be valid, but they're not around the data. They're about other things. And, and I think we need to get to look at the data and see what conclusion do we come from the data and then go forward. And that's that's what Panda's offered. You know, Panda's said, here's the data. This is our interpretation. In our interpretation, the lockdown wasn't justified. No, that's fine. That's the scientific debate which we need. We can't cut down the debate because people don't like it, which is happening and which I think is fairly unhealthy. We are seeing interesting developments, though. Uh, Many of the perceived truths in the early days of the pandemic, like it was not, uh, the virus was not manufactured in a lab, for instance, and that, if you said that, you were deplatformed and ridiculed. That's now come into more of mainstream thinking. Is this historically the way things happen, that we move forward as a species by questioning and initially by having very unpopular questions? Yeah, I just think in the scientific age, we should never have had this happen as has happened. I mean, the earlier ages of superstition and that, that was different, but... You know, you take the earlier view, which was which 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 was promulgated. I mean, which was put out as a scientific view. We can't stop COVID. What we have to do is we need to take action to flatten the curve so that the medical facilities could deal with it. Now, what happened to that view? That that just disappeared. Now we're we're going to go into lockdown to stop people from dying. But that was not the original view. You know, so all the views seem to be, be changing, but. I don't think that's that's not what uh, I think the major contribution. The major contribution, I think, of Panda is they looked at the data, they interpreted the data, and said we come to a different conclusion. Now, if we have a debate along those lines, I think that will be fine. I don't think we can have debates along models because models predict the future, and the future can't be observed. So... Virtually all the models, I think, tended to be wrong. Remember the uh, Imperial uh, uh, College in London predicted over a six-week period one and a half million people were going to die. I mean, that didn't happen. And I think models are not part of the science. The science is what you can see and what you can interpret. If you can, based on data, come to a projection which is accurate, that's a different matter. But in the beginning when this happened, it's not enough data to make any decisions. You you, know, you can't make a model on no data. You can't make a, a model to say, you know, we have no data. When we get the data, one and a half million people are going to die. You have to wait for, for the data to come first. So I, I, I think a lot of it is correcting. Sorry, uh, I pressed the button a little quickly. I'll, I'll cut that out. Um, you, you, 
you think it is starting to correct? Uh, well, I, I think there are, uh, you know, if you go back uh, six months ago, uh, virtually anything that was said, which is not along the party line, was deplatformed. Any book that tried to be published was not published. Amazon, uh, you know, just got a publishing facility. They took off anything that was going to be. Now, uh, you know, at this point of time, we're getting more and more books coming out, and the debate is becoming freer. So I think I think we are moving past the original stage. But we should never have gone through that stage, not in this modern age. I mean, in the modern age, there's data and there's want to interpret it, then that should be allowed. You shouldn't be arguing against that. Peter Hayward-Butt is the chief executive of Ethos Private Equity, but talking us today in his role as running Brait. Peter, it's an interesting story, Brait. I, I go back to the days of Anthony Ball, Terry DeLay, Mark Barnes, and then we know that Christo Visa used it for a period for his investment vehicle. But that's all changed now. Yeah, afternoon, Alec. Um, yeah, great has a has a great history. I mean, it's obviously had a troubled probably last three or four years, but you know, has a great history, and there's some fantastic people. The names of whom you you mentioned who've sort of preceded me and done a lot better than I have at doing it. But um, yeah, look, it's had it's had a checkered past, as I mentioned, over the last uh, three or four, until. You know, a number of years ago, when it was it was a listed entity, it then uh, bought the premier business into the business and and uh, bought Virgin soon thereafter. And I think the start of its troubles were, and I'm going back five or so years, when they bought into New Look. Um, mm. You know, at the time, it seemed like a great place to be. You know, as we all know, the world has changed, um, and I think that was the start of uh, a bit of a downward spiral, to be honest, in terms of the NAV per share, you know, of the company. Um, Ethos then. Was lucky enough to come in as part of the rights issue as the advisor, probably almost a year, just over a year ago. I think we started on the first of March, so it's early days for us. But um, yeah, we've taken off a, taken over a great portfolio of assets. But there's lots and lots and lots of work to be done, particularly in a in a COVID world, right? You mentioned New Look. It's not that familiar to South African <laughs> investors, excepting those who've been in Brett. But there was a time that you could walk down any. UK High Street, and you would see a outlet of New Look, a fashion uh, a retailer. It was a disaster of note, though. Almost done. The deal was done, well, at just about the worst possible time ahead of Brexit, um, at a time when the rand was so weak. Uh, it, you, you, it takes a long way to recover from something like that. It does, and it's you know it's always very easy in, in retrospect, as we all know. You, you never lose money in Excel, I always say. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it, look, it, the timing wasn't good. Um, I think, you know, in retrospect, I think the, they overpaid for the asset at the time. I mean, it is still a, literally a household name in the UK. You can still walk down most high streets and those shops that aren't all shuttered up, you know, quite a few of them are new look stores. And I think it will come back. I mean, it's got a great franchise. It's It's got a great management team currently. I think it was massively over leveraged at the time. We've sorted that out through the CVA and restructuring, which we did at the back end of last year. And I think the business is in good hands and a much better operational and financial structure than it, than it was, you know, certainly six months ago. So, you know, we are hopeful that it can come back. But as you mentioned, it's a very long way back from, you know, from where it was. So despite the fact that you've written off that entire investment, uh, you still have some achterskot there. I was looking through the numbers about yeah. just under 20% of it that you still own. Yeah, so we own 20% of the, the debt, part of the debt package in there, but also of the equity. Um, together with, you know, one other shareholder, the two of us really control the business and own about 60% of it. So we still run it pretty much as a normal private equity portfolio 
company. Um, as I mentioned, we've got very good management. Uh, we get on well with our, our fellow equity partners. And, and I'm, I am hopeful that, you know, it really is an option that, that's worth, worth keeping in your back pocket. Let me put it that way for, for bright shareholders. And we'd hopefully hope to monetize it over the next you know, two to three years once it is back to somewhat closer to its former glory. Well, something that wasn't uh, retained in the back pocket was Iceland, again, a very well-known UK brand, uh, which sells, as the na- name would suggest, products that are frozen and uh, TVs, yeah. uh, food, etc. And, and it's done well over the years, but uh, you decided that you had to sell that presumably to sort the gearing out at Brett? Yeah, look, there were a couple of thoughts that went into that when we took over. I think we did say to shareholders that we are in realisation mode, i.e., you know, at at fair value, going to sort of dispose of some of the assets and hopefully close the discount that the share price trades at to NAV. Um, We had an opportunity there and and leading, you know, there have been a number of companies, you know, Virgin, New Look being two of them that have been, you know, negatively impacted by COVID. Iceland was actually the other way around. It was positively impacted by covid we had an opportunity there. We owned 63-odd percent of the company. The rest was owned by the management team, which is always a difficult exit for, for the 63% majority shareholder there. And we got an op- you know, opportunity to sell, sell it back at, it was at the time, an 83% premium to what we had it in our book. So, look, the business has continued to perform well. I think the issue there would always have been for us, how do we get out of it without selling it back to management? So, we were we were pleased. It was partly done because we needed to sort out liquidity and break. And we'll just, you'll have seen in the results this year, we've returned probably 3 billion rand of disposal proceeds to, to pay debt. So it's, it's partly around that. The net asset value, and you mentioned that a moment ago, and it's something that's very close in investors' minds nowadays because of what's going on with NASPAS and it's a yeah. huge discount to the underlying assets. Yours is even, even worse. At uh, current share price, 2 rand 77. The numbers today to end March tell us that your net asset value is 7 rand 90. So that gap must presumably be attracting some kind of bargain hunters. But what are the risks of that that they will be taking when they get in at such a huge discount? That's oh, a very good question, Eric. And, you know, as I said on my presentation today, you know, valuation is a bit of the eye of the beholder. And, and we certainly, you know, aren't the, the ultimate arbiters of what, what value is. We do a huge amount of work, you know, with third parties to ensure that our NAV is as close to fair value as we, we, we believe. Um, and I think we've got, you know, portfolio of four really high quality core companies. If you take, you know, if you take Virgin Active, we can come back to how it's performed through COVID. You've got Premier, which is performing very well. You've got New Look, which we mentioned, and you've got Console. You know, these are really high quality assets. Um, so I suppose the risk that people have coming in, it's, you know, are we right about our valuations? I'm relatively confident of that, uh, that, that we're not miles off. Um, I think the issue that people quite rightly raise is there is still a level of debt within Breit. Um, at the holding company level, as well as in the operating companies. So, you know, to be fair, if you come in, you know, that, that is a risk that you're going to take. But we're pretty confident that with the portfolio of assets that we've got, that we can realize at least this amount of value um, and go from there. Well, Virgin Active is your big play. Yeah. How's that been going? COVID yeah, so, <laughs> uh, it's so difficult. You know, if you, if you go back a year and you told us what we'd go through over the next 12 months, I don't think anyone would have, would have believed you. It's, it's a high-quality portfolio of you know different territories so for those who don't know it's you know the household name in south africa it's a high quality business in the uk it's got a dominant position in in italy and it's got an, uh, asia pacific singapore thailand and, and australia so you know it really is a global business uh, in, in the you know health and wellness space um so look covid hit it and, and when you got the 
change by that. I mean, you know, as soon as your sales go down, you're going to have a fixed operating cost base. You know, COVID has been a disaster for the business. That said, you know, management, I think, has done a great job of, you know, pulling it through over the last 12 to 15 months when we've been closed in many of the territories for, you know, for more than probably 60, 70% of the year. Um, what we had to do there, we also restructured the UK business um, and got to better terms with, with our landlords and, and the banks there, et cetera. And I think that set the business up, that, that business up for, you know, a much better trajectory. The South African business has continued to, to carry on. You know, it's a very robust cash generative business. Clearly, you know, level three lockdowns impact the number of people you can have in your gyms. Um, but what we haven't seen is nations and people, you know, running for the exit. We've actually had good sales this year in line with what we saw in 2019, you know, before, uh, before COVID. So it's like, I think it's a long way back, Alec, but it's a, it's a great business. You know, I really genuinely believe it's, it's a good business that, that can come back to its former glory. Um, and if it does, there'll be massively, you know, massive upside for any shareholders in, in Braid, particularly at these levels. And when you have a look from a global perspective, though, one of the hottest companies in the U.S. is Peloton, which would mm. be the anti-Virgin Active. It's a buy from us the, uh, your, your gym equipment, take it home and uh, and do your gymming at home rather than going to a Virgin Active. Are you seeing, and, and that's got a huge rating, are you seeing that as a, a, a sustainable model? Look, it's a great business, and, and you must never knock your competitors. They've set up something there that's, A, unique and, you know, first to market. I think there's lots of people, you know, trying to copy it. I, I do genuinely believe what we've got to offer at Virgin Active is an experience for your members, that they want to get it out the house. They want to go for not just to go and run on a treadmill. You need to offer a more holistic experience. I think we have moved there. We offer a digital offering of our own. So you can, if you remember, you know, get all the digital content. You can do Pilates and yoga, et cetera, at home. So I think we've got to offer what we call, and I don't particularly like the word, but you know, fidgetal, which is physical and digital together as an offering, as opposed to merely being a digital offering. But look, Peloton's got its space in the market. I think it's going to, you know, we think it's a you know, 10 to 15% of gym goes will only do that at home. We think the other 90, quite frankly, will want the experience of being able to do it at at home and also go out to a gym. And we've seen that in, in the numbers, you know, um, particularly in the UK, which has just opened up in the last couple of months, you know, very positive member sentiment, you know, coming back into the gym. So, of course, it's a great competitor. And I think, you know, if you look at their rating, it is eye-watering. We've got to try and measure up in, in some shape or form around our digital and combine that with our physical estate. It's an interesting uh, deep discount stock. If Benjamin Graham were alive today, he might be jumping into at these kind of share prices, but has it been attracting those value investors? When you see your shareholding base, are you finding the pitfalluns and the other deep value investors coming along uh, yet? Um, yeah, Pete isn't. Uh, I don't think he's a fan of, of Break, quite frankly. But I don't think he's on the register. But there are a number of of value investors who've been. You know, some of whom have been long-term holders. So, you know, you've got to ask, you know, is, is the value there? I genuinely believe that there is value there, but it's got to be unlocked. I think the difference between Breit and a normal holding company is we have said over three to five years, we are going to liquidate the portfolio and return all the capital to shareholders. So in a normal holding company, you would expect the, the discount to persist because it's, it's always there. We think we will close that as soon as we, we realize value. So I think at the end of the day, Someone looking to come in should just ascertain, is, is there value in the underlying portfolio companies that can be extracted over a three to five year horizon? And if it is, you will, you'll make decent returns. Um, so I think there are value investors there. You know, I, I leave everyone's, everyone's judgment is their own. You know, people have a different view of the of value of physical gyms at the moment. We've done a lot of work on it. Um, 
we believe we're in the ballpark of fair value, but you know, there are a lot of people who don't. So, you know, th- th- that's their call. Thanks for being with us tonight. Uh, from the team here at BizNews and myself, Alec Hogg, we look forward to being in your company again, same time, same place, tomorrow. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at BizNews. News.